0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to the second episode of Adoption Story. Um, today's guest, we have Steve Kaub. He is the Director of post adoptive Services at Holt, which is where I was adopted from. Um, so, Steve, thanks so much for being guest number two.
1: Yeah, oh, That's awesome. Uh, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Really looking forward to the conversation.
0: Yeah. Um, so, my first question to you is, when were you adopted? Where were you adopted from? And how old were you?
1: I was, uh, I'm a Korean adoptee, so I was born in Seoul, I, you know, I, uh, I, I was actually born in Jeonju, and then my foster home ended up being in Seoul, but, uh, so, born in Korea, adopted into Iowa, uh, <laughs> a small little farm, yeah, outside of a small little town in Iowa, and I, that was 1978, I was about a year and a half old.
0: Oh, Wow. Okay, so you were actually a little bit i mean is that an average age to be adopted, or is that a little bit older or younger
1: um, well back back in those days that was that was pretty standard. Uh, I think a, a lot of international adoptees were you know six months to two years old that was oh, really? that was pretty standard
0: so the first episode, Elliot had talked about how adoptive parents would like now also since you work with Holt what is true do adoptive parents have to go to the birth country first or are the kids flo- like me like back in 1990 i was just flown into the united states so like what's the yeah what happens now in 2000 right
1: today international uh international adoptees are uh the parents the parents have to fly to the country do they and-
0: really
1: yeah yep
0: so when did mm-hmm. i had no idea so like so for well,
1: yeah, it's been gradually changing. Um, but it this has been the standard practice for probably a decade or so now.
0: Oh my god! Really? Wow. Yep. Then every yep. adoptive parent that goes through Holt has to go to the birth country. Yes. And is yes. there like a program that they have to get into in that country? Like they have to go to somewhere for a seminar, or do they just go and visit and like write it off like a report, or like how does it happen?
1: Well, their trip to the country is part of the adoption process. So, uh, typically, I mean, it depends on the it depends on the country program, what country they're adopting from. And I am not, I I, I am not up on all of the right. exact uh, standards for the adoption process, uh, because my work is in post adoption. Yeah, but um, but I do know that the parents, when they travel to the sending countries, to uh, gain custody of of their of the new adoptee. Th- that is, uh, it's a it's a process that takes you know a couple of weeks. So a lot of times, uh, parents will travel to the sending country. They'll need to be there for some acclimation time, and like the purpose is uh, twofold: it's legal so that they can complete all of the um, all all of the legal paperwork and the processes involved with the adoption, and then it's also uh, in best interest of the child so that the right. child can have some acclimation time and some, um, some get to know you time with the parents on, you know, on their turf.
0: Yeah. 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 That's so, I mean, back in 1978, like when you were adopted, that was clearly not standard protocol for the family to have to go there. So like, no, that's
1: right. No. Yeah. Right. Like, like you, I was, um, I was escorted, um, was, uh, I was escorted from Korea into the United States and then my parents met me at at an airport I think it was uh, I think it was Minneapolis I, I, I have I have two well I have two sisters who were also adopted and oh. so all three of us flew into we're not biological to each other but all three of us um, we were adopted at different times and we flew into different airports and I can never actually kind of keep track of uh, which which airports we flew into? <laughs> oh,
0: wait. So you have, like, again, like Elliot, you have siblings that are adopted.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I'm the o- I'm the oldest of three. Uh, so there's there's three children in the family, and all three of us are adoptees. Uh, like I said, we're not biological to each other, but uh, we're all Korean adoptees. We were adopted <laughs> at different times, and like uh, you know. We is, arrived at different airports and I, I can never keep track actually of which airports, yeah, it's like different which.
0: Hospitals, but airports. Yeah. yeah. it's like, Oh yeah. Hey, yeah. Hospital, but no, it's the airport. Um, so then with our, that's so with all three of you guys, I mean, did you have a bonding in a way from being adopted? Did you feel like, did you guys talk about it? Did you have any like special connection you feel like?
1: Not as we were, you know, from my perspective, And when, as we were growing up, you know, I can't, I don't want to speak for my sisters because it's their perspective and their stories. But, uh, you know, from my perspective, we did not take advantage of the fact that all three of us were adoptees as we were growing up. Now that we're adults, it it comes up a lot. We talk about race and adoption a lot when we're together. But uh, now as kids, we never really, it, it just, we never talked about it.
0: Okay. So then was Holt camp a thing back then in the 80s?
1: Holt Camp was a thing back in the 80s. However, it wasn't a thing in the Midwest, which is where we grew up. It wasn't a thing in the Midwest until, I think, 96. Okay. And even, you know, like, even if Holt Camp were, had been available when I was a kid, I don't, I wouldn't have wanted to go. I, right. I would have had, a, yeah, I would have avoided it like the plague when I was a kid. Because at that time, um, I just, all I wanted to do was fit in, which, as you can imagine, in rural Iowa, uh, everybody was white. And so the idea of going to a place where, so I just wanted to fit in and I wanted to kind of blend in and disappear. And the worst way to do that would be to go to some club yeah. where everybody looked different and, and it was just obvious that I was not white, you know? And so I, I would have stayed a long ways away from that because of where I was at identity-wise at the time.
0: Yeah. That's how I was. I mean, that's Mm. in Texas. I mean, given in Texas, there actually was a lot of diversity, um, but I was the same exact way. I just wanted to fit in. And there was like, Mm -hmm. you know, I just, it's already so hard being a teenager, like already not feeling like normal on your own skin. And then on top of that, you add this thing where you go to a special camp for special kids. Like that kind of idea was just, and I, like you, I totally avoided it like the plug. My parents totally brought it up. And even now they bring it up. And they're like, well, maybe if we had pressured you more to go to this camp. And I was like, no. I was like, I definitely came to my own realization in my own time. I don't think pressing for this, like, go to this camp or you're gonna fit in would have helped me in any I probably just would have resented them, to be super honest. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it was, I was the same exact way. So like, but Midwest... For you, with two other Asian sisters, how many other Asians were there in your community?
1: Uh, just, just a couple. Really? Somet- sometimes. <laughs> you know, I don't, because you know, I, I only remember seeing a, a Vietnamese family uh, for a bit of time. Uh, I remember them, and but I, I, I don't remember graduating with them or them being around them being a part of my memory throughout my childhood i just remember them on the bus a couple of times so it was it was like them for however long they were around and then the three of us that was it that, that constituted the asians
0: really i mean that's, yeah. that's really small i mean that's like beyond small yeah. so how yeah. do you think that that impacted your the viewpoint for yourself like how did you see yourself during that time
1: well, I I saw myself as uh, as pretty ugly and and uh, awkward and definitely not normal. So that's how you know that's how I saw myself, and and because of that, like I said, you know, I just wanted to blend in. So I was re- so I was really just just like holding my breath. I felt like my entire childhood, hoping that nobody would notice that I was Asian. You know, just kind of do everything like everybody else does it. And hopefully nobody will notice. And that kind of gets back to why the idea of of these adoptee camps was so off-putting to me at that time, because obviously people would notice if I went to these things, like people would notice that I was not white. Um, You know, (laughs) obviously everybody noticed anyways, but in my (laughs) mind, (laughs) like in my mind, I just wanted hopefully like hopefully nobody will notice if I don't make a fuss or if I don't if I I I don't do anything that's kind of crazy
0: identity you know it's like something that you know I talked about with Elliot was just how the math thing like how I just didn't want to learn math because it made Mm. me stick out you know like as being Asian so I did the same thing where it was like I would do anything just to be like a normal white kid just to be like not different I don't want to be different. And I don't want
1: you yeah. to Yeah. Yeah. When I heard that, when I heard you, you mentioned that, Emily, I, I was thinking to myself, uh, like, I had, I had similar experiences, except mine were more of like I was, uh, it was because of the stereotypes, uh, the Asian stereotypes that I was trying to avoid. Um, but I was, I had a natural incl- inclination towards math. And <laughs> Did you really? um, I was also... Yeah, so I was always pretty good at math, which uh, at the time was not cool because yeah. every, that's what people expected of me, and then I felt like I was just that. that made me look more Asian to them. For sure. And uh, so you know, math was math was an interesting one. I think math is something that a lot of a lot of Asian adoptees struggle with just be, because of this. You know, because of this conversation here, yeah.
0: Um, that was one of them. Another one for me was rice, and fish. Mm. And mm. I avoided those two things as if it was like death on a plate. Like, I was like, mm. I don't want to touch it, look at it, be around it. Um, just because I knew, again, the stereotypes of like fish and rice on stuff. And so I didn't eat that stuff for a long time. Like, I didn't want to, yeah, didn't want to touch it. And mm. like that, it was like, I don't want anything to point more than what my face already looks like. I know this is Asian. I don't want anything else to like make that stand out. Yeah. Um, and that's like, so being with post adoption services, do you talk to a lot of adoptees, adult adoptees?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a big part of my job.
0: Like just to talk to them and just like, yeah. So do they have similar stories? Is this like a similar, really?
1: Yeah, it is. You, it, it's, yeah, it, you know, it's, uh, it's really affirming. Yeah, it's like it's affirming to me to hear that I wasn't the only one that struggled, and it's affirming to them to hear that they're not the only one struggling with with these identity issues. Uh, but it's also really, really sad and tragic, and um, it's it it's it's hard, you know, cumulatively for me to hear these sto- these same stories over and over again. It starts to really kind of weigh pretty heavy on my soul, yeah. and Uh, But it is, it is nice to know that I can be, um, that I can be a point for somebody in their identity development where they realize that they're not the only ones going through it.
0: So then I remember being at camp and hearing these little kids talking about getting made fun of or when they feel the most like they are adopted. Um, So, I mean, I think just pointed back at you, when was the, like, when did you feel the biggest difference? Or when did you feel that you were adopted?
1: Mm. Adoption was never really a huge, adoption was never a huge issue for me as a kid. It was always, it was about race. Um, My parents were always really good about talking um, openly about being adopted. Uh, For instance, we, I grew up I grew up pretty Catholic, like super Catholic, and, and so I remember one time I, in the kitchen as a kid, I remember this vividly, I remember standing by the counter over this heat register where I often stood because it was nice and warm in the winters, and I remember saying to mom and dad, uh, kind of exclaiming to them, demonstrating my knowledge of, uh, uh, of this subject, like, like hey. I have three moms, I have you mom, I have my Korea mom, and then I have uh, Mother Mary uh, as, a, <laughs> yes. as a third mom. <laughs> I, I remember that really vividly. Uh, and they was like, yeah, Steve, yeah. A- and so adoption, you know, my parents were always open right. in terms of talking about adoption and they, 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 never, they never tried to snuff out any kind of discussion that involved um, difference around because of adoption, right? Uh, race race was more challenging, and but uh, the adoption bit was was always pretty natural. I think right. in my family.
0: Did you have any resentments though towards your parents? Your like,
1: uh, like which which parents? I your
0: adoptive parents. My adoptive parents. Like, did you have any resentment where you felt like you know? Yeah, I don't know, like teen angst or whatever, where you just kind of felt like it was their fault or like that you were different or like anything like that? Huh.
1: Uh, you know, I've never really, I've, I've never, I've never really felt resentment towards my parents. Um, I have felt, I've, I've, I've felt frustration maybe some anger that that they didn't provide me with with the kind of uh resources and mm, like yeah. you know like the tools that i that i that would have helped me with my racial identity development as kids yeah uh, as a kid but no i don't i don't resent them for anything you know they i i know and i think this is i think a lot of this has to do with um just my experience working at Holt. I've been at Holt for a long time, you know, 16 years, a little over 16 years. And so I've learned a lot about the adoptee experience. I've learned about myself a lot. uh, But I've also learned a lot about adoptive parents and their motivations. And, you know, some adoptive parents, a minority of adoptive parents kind of get into it for the wrong reasons. But I think most parents just want to be parents. Right. uh, And they just want to grow their family. And I don't, I don't blame them for that. And adoption is a legitimate way to do that. Uh, It's just, you know, the the failure is on the agency side in terms of preparing our parents for the challenge that is transracial and international adoption. Uh, So I think, I mean, you know, is it my parents' fault that they didn't really know how to raise a child of color? Right. No, no, because why would you expect that? Uh, It's the agency's fault for not preparing them well enough and giving them the tools to do that.
0: Right. I mean, that's something that we've talked about, you know, is having the toolkit for parenthood. It's like being parents, your biological children, you already have, you know, there's like 50 million books on how to do that. There's so many resources and all this other kind of stuff. And then when you add in an adopted child into that family, that toolkit, you got to be ready for it. And it's an extra add on to being a parent. There's so many extra things that you have to do for that child and make them feel part of the fa- like really part of the family. And I think that there's times that like, I'm a huge believer that most parents really try their hardest and everyone makes mistakes. And I mean, my own family, I know that there's been mistakes made and all that other kind of stuff, but it's those kinds of moments where like, I think a parent has to be really steadfast in that commitment To have an adopted child to not let like their tongue slip when they like you know what i mean like there's an argument when this like kid is like 16 and thinks that they know everything you know what i mean and it's like emotions to run high it's like those are the moments where it's like you can't see this child as like an adopted child you have to really see them as this person like this just another person and i think a lot of times some of the biggest pain that comes from like adopted children, like with families, that stuff happens. They see this difference, and it comes out. And it's like, I just think like, when it comes to prepping families and other kind of stuff, they just have to know that it takes a super duper strong like mental thing. You know what I mean?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, af- absolutely. There's uh, there's parenting, which is really challenging in and of itself. Yeah. And then uh, as an adoptive parent, there is absolutely, there's an extra layer of complexity and commitment and dedication that is required. And yeah, you got to be all in uh, because it's, it's tough and and adoptees are, you know, we, we have these, these primal wounds just from our abandonment or relinquishment and, or just multiple placements as children. Like that's, that's, that stuff leaves a mark yeah. and if if the adoptive parents aren't aware of that and that dynamic and uh, aren't prepared to address it when it does come up then you know that's doing a disservice to the kid for sure
0: yeah do you like have you talked to many adoptees that were lied to about their adoption
1: i so you know can like, can you be more specific about lied like- to
0: that they were told they weren't adopted or they are told that they were adopted late. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, I have. Uh, yeah, I have, I have. It's, it's, uh, it's just, it's an awkward and tragic, tragic conversation. There's so I've had a lot of conversations with adoptees who reach out to us and then they get connected to me. They reach out to hold, they get connected to me because they have just recently learned that they were adopted and, and, you know, these are adults. These are adults. Yeah. And a lot of these, as you can imagine, have these were same race placements. Yeah. Um, op- obviously, because you can't. It's hard. It's hard to. <laughs> yeah. Hard to hide adoption in families like ours, right? Uh, where our parents are white. But yeah, I've, I've had a. I've had. Unfortunately, I've had way too many conversations with those. in with those scenarios.
0: So then, what's that breaking point for them? Or do, I mean, is there this moment where they feel lost? I can imagine that's the main feeling of feeling, like, really betrayed, really lost, like, really confused, like, yeah, I mean, what's the, is there a common thread throughout all of them, or is it just, like, super different for everyone?
1: Well, no, there is a common thread. It's a good question. I think, um, in, so, in these cases uh, where they find that they that they are adopted later on in life into adulthood, the new, the new, the, the, you know, the news, as you can imagine, just rocks them to their core. Their, um, their identity has just completely been shifted. Uh, Then they, they, then they start to question everything about their childhood. You know, like what, um, like what, what was, was anything truthful? Like what were were they being honest about anything? That's, that's where they kind of go. And that's a huge rabbit hole that they dive into. And uh, it's, you know, it's interesting. A lot The last, the last few of these cases that I've worked with, they have found out that they were adopted because of DNA tests.
0: Oh my Uh, God.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like the whole family will do DNA tests and, (laughs) uh, and then they'll find that, that they're not connected to their family. And anyone,
0: like, yeah. Yeah.
1: And then, yeah. And then the cat's out of the bag.
0: Wait, so like, is this like families that were like, let's all do like, what did like, it was the idea of the parents to do like war- No,
1: of course not. No, of course, course not. Really the parents say,
0: That's pretty stupid. Like I don't yeah,
1: the, the parents are trying to keep it yeah, trying to keep it on the down low, but um the, you know these these DNA tests are becoming more and more ubiquitous and yeah. people just people just take them cuz they're interesting and they sound like fun. Oh, let's see how much let's see how much Korean I have in me. Yeah. Let's see if I have any Chinese in me or where in Europe are my ancestors from. And uh, and so they'll just take it, and then they'll compare it to, oh my God. Uh, they'll compare it to the, or they'll know that the, like, they'll know that their family, they were raised in a Chinese family, let's say, uh, but their DNA tests come back, like, oh, you're 94% Korean, and, and it's just, they're, they're, yeah, a number of those stories.
0: I, I mean, the idea, like, thinking about that, and thinking about being in an Asian family, right? and being like, oh yeah, we're all Asian. Like, we're all Asian, and that whole thing where people are like, well, I can tell Asians apart. Like, you know what I mean? Like, do you get this? I don't know if it, I get this because I'm a chick, but like, so many dudes specifically are like, oh, are you Korean? And I'm like, yeah. Like, why does this matter? Like, why are you talking to me? But like, they always, tell, <laughs> they're always like, oh, well, I can tell because of your cheekbones and stuff. And I'm like, sure, Koreans do have defining features. But it's like, if I grew up in a Chinese family, thinking that I was Chinese, like those conversations would be so different. Everything would be so different. Like my, yeah. I, like, your identity gets so scrambled when you, re- dude, that puts a lot of questions in the air.
1: Yeah, it it is. It's it's hard to it's hard to imagine uh thinking like one way about yourself uh, for yeah, uh, for years and then and then just one day uh, having a, like, a complete 180. And you know to to like a slightly lesser degree, that's kind of what right, transracial adoptees go through. Um uh, in in my experience, uh, both personal and professional, I found that you know, uh, so many adoptees, transracial adoptees just like feel white, feel super white, and then they're faced with that, it's like, oh my God, I guess I'm not white. Yeah. Like anytime that maybe they look in the mirror or anytime a friend brings it up and they it's like, oh that's no, oh, that's right. That's what I was trying to keep on the download. No one's supposed to notice that I wasn't white. Yeah. And it's it's to some you know, so like a lesser degree, that's kind of the transracial adoptee experience.
0: Right. So by transracial, what do you mean exactly? So
1: I mean, I mean uh, a child of one race being adopted into a family of a different race.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Um, so, but going back to that whole white thing, um, I mean, I think my whole entire life, my whole life I've gotten like, yeah, but you're like white. Mm. That's my favorite. Yeah. But you're like white. And it's really funny because yeah, I'm not saying that I disagree entirely because my community is predominantly white. My family's white, you know, predominantly white. Right. But if I walk into a store in, you know, like Riverside, people don't know that I have a white family. Like they look at me and they think Asian. And it's like, it does such a disservice to tell someone that no, but you're really like white because other people don't know that stuff. You know what I mean? It's like this weird, confusing thing for yourself where you're like, it just makes you way more confused. Your identity gets so much more muddled when you think to yourself, yeah, but I'm like white. And then you look in the mirror and you're like, definitely not white in any way. Like, look at my eyes. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it makes it so much worse. Like...
1: Yeah, yeah, it is. That is really challenging. That was challenging for me as a kid too. I remember uh, it, was, it wasn't until I was well into college, like well into college. So in my early 20s that I even started to entertain the idea that, 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 I'm, that, peop, that I couldn't pass as white. Like, right. you know, it, it seems so crazy because it just, it just, it doesn't make any sense that somebody could forget that yep. they're Asian, but I, di- I did all the time. Yes. And I, I remember one time in college, I was, um, I was introduced to some friends and their parents were visiting and my friend was Asian and their parents were Asian of course. Yeah. But that was so weird to oh, me sure. because I saw yeah because I when I saw that Asian person, I saw like my when I saw my friend, it was kind of a reflection of myself.
0: Yeah, 100%. But
1: but I saw myself I guess as white because when I saw her parents and they were Asian, it it, it was just a trip I didn't yeah, un- for sure. like, Oh, that's weird. Like yeah. I was thinking like god, those are your parents? Because they don't they don't look like my parents um but you look like me and we <laughs> yeah. should like i just this don't not, like i was in my 20s and still having those kind of yeah. those kind of revelations
0: that's i have that all the time i mean mm-hmm. i am super guilty i mean something i'm not proud of, proud of like um when it comes to other like Asians and stuff i get pretty harsh like i can be pretty harsh where i feel like and i think this goes back to again my like adoptee identity of being like when i was in my family when i was in my school or whatever i tried everything in my power to fit in to fit into a white culture or whatever and then i see an asian person who's doing the stereotypical maybe like bad driving thing or whatever like that kind of stuff and in my head it just explodes and i just think what are you doing yeah like what are you doing? You're making it worse for me. You're do yeah. like, I get so angry and it's like, stop doing that. You know what I mean? And like, it's something that I really try to work on. Cause I'm like, no, just because you went through something doesn't mean that you can hold them to the same standard, but
1: like, yeah, I, I, I hear you. Like we all, uh... I, I have I, I, I and a number of the folk that I've worked with and talked to have all of this kind of built up internalized racism against themselves. Yeah. And 100%. so whenever we see, yeah, whenever we see that, we think, oh, come on, like, dude, come on. Dude,
0: it's like, you know? it's so bad. Like, mm-hmm. it can get to the point where I'm like, you know what, I don't even like Asians. And I'm like, dude, Emily, like, look in the mirror. Like, do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, and it really comes from, I think, that that is a very strong adoptee thing for me that I struggle mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. just from being maybe like self-loathing in a way when I was younger like blaming mm-hmm. myself like feeling like um like not even like it was my choice like I couldn't like it's not like I chose to be Korean Do you know what I mean it's like but getting made fun of for like having a flat face that was a big one was mm-hmm. like um I still remember like the first time that this little girl told me that um, I was in a play in my brother's high school and we were backstage and she looked at me and she just goes, why do you have a flat face? And it was a oh. I, kid, And kids are already super cruel. Like,
1: yeah. Oh, that hurts. That hurts me to hear that, Emily. Oh.
0: <laughs> and I'm I, sorry. Well, I, I think I'm better for it. But I remember looking up at my mom with, like, tears, like, I didn't want that little girl to see that I was crying, and I looked up at my mom, and there were just, like, tears, just, like, building up in my eyes, and I just remember looking up at her, and my mom got so mad, like, you know, like, mama bear style, like, oh, no, that child did not just say that to my daughter, and she talked to the mom or whatever, but that was, those moments, I think, were that building up of resentment towards being Asian, of being, like, it, you know, it being pointed out, it making me feel ugly, it making me feel like an outsider. And so then, like I was talking about, you know, when I see other Asians doing this stuff, I'm like, I went through hell. You know what I mean? It's like, why are you doing this? And it's such Yeah, a- it's
1: just a- Right, right, right. It's just a reminder. Yeah. when you, So when you see those stereotypical things, it's just a reminder of your own kind of pain and discomfort sure. with Asianness. Yeah. yeah.
0: And it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's tough because it's like, I didn't have a mom. I didn't have a Korean mom to like, look at and be like, well, that's what I'm going to look like when I'm older. Or like, that's what my eyes are going to look like, or even how to do my makeup. You know what I mean? Like with my eyes, I had to figure out my makeup on my own. That wasn't something that my mom taught me. Like I had to figure out my own skin tone color. I had to figure out everything because we just don't have that in common. And it's like that kind of stuff is the thing that like has built me to be who I am. So I don't, you know, I don't look down on any of that stuff. Um, but yeah, those are like the building blocks to like me now, I guess.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 you know, kids today, adoptees today. I sound so old. I sound so old. Uh, but. <laughs> Like you know, the makeup thing is a big one, and that's a that's a, I have a daughter. She's biological to me. She's Hapa. She's half white. My wife is white. Um, uh, but one of my concerns for her is what you just expressed about makeup. You know, I I don't I know that the female experience in America is, is radically different than my experience as a guy, um, and and so beauty standards are 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 one thing that I don't. I don't fully grasp and understand, but I do know that um, that makeup specifically is uh, has always been designed for the white white skin, and white features, and the eyelids and everything like that. And so I, you know, I've always wondered how my daughter is going to handle handle those kind of issues and today getting back to like kids today and me sounding old at at the very least there's some research like youtube has all kinds of wonderful tutorials on how to do makeup as an asian right. as an asian girl and, and
0: korean skincare stuff because it's so big has been yeah really, really helpful
1: yeah yeah right that's kind of like taking some ownership over uh, like everybody wants to be like the koreans and that's a that's a real shift in terms of kind of power and yeah, influence. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, no, I was thinking about beauty standards and you're talking about, you know, you only know it as a guy and stuff, but you know, I, there is, I think something very tragic about, you know, toxic masculinity and all the other kind of stuff. And I do know that Asian men are not always seen as masculine. They're seen as more feminine and all that kind of stuff. And like, how did that affect you or did it affect you?
1: Oh, my God. It was it, it, uh, dramatically. It dramatically affected me, um, especially, you know, especially back in the day. I was growing up. I was a child of the 80s, and there weren't there, – there was just zero representation, Asian representation in the media. Right. The couple, the couple of examples were either, you know, action heroes who knew karate – yeah, or they yeah. were, uh, or they were the the joke, and yeah. and made fun of with big buck teeth and big glasses, and uh, like that was the only example I had of being an Asian male growing up, and therefore uh, I wanted to avoid the I wanted to avoid the geek stereotype. Getting back to the math, and I wanted to um, like everybody expected me to know karate, yeah. and I didn't. You know, how, how am I, I don't know karate and I don't want to know. And everybody would make those, you know, those weird sounds and Bruce Lee kind of punches towards me because they thought that that's how they could relate. And those were the only, those were the only ways I knew how to be an Asian man as I was growing up. And neither of those were appealing to me. Neither of those fit who I was. And so, and so I just avoided Asianness as you could probably gather from, from our conversation. I just avoided Asian-ness at all costs as I was growing up. And it wasn't until well into my like mid to late twenties that I started, uh, like my mindset shifted from, I wish I looked like everybody else. It shifted from that to, I wish there were more people that looked like me. Mm. So there was a point as I was growing and maturing and learning that, um, I came to realize that there are some kind of awesome things about being yeah. Asian. There's a lot of awesome things about being Asian. And uh, it was only when it was only when I realized that through exposure to movies and media and other Asian friends and different cultures, It was only then that I started to be you know kind of proud of what I looked like. So uh, my 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 environment is still a majority white. I live in Oregon. Um, so it's, it's a majority <laughs> white, <laughs> but you know, the difference between like kid Steve and adult Steve is that again, instead of wishing that I looked like everybody else, instead of wishing I looked white, I wish that there were just more Asians around me so that, um, because those are, those are the people that look like me and kind of reflect my life experience in a lot of ways.
0: For sure. I mean, that's, you know, talking about being comfortable with being Asian, I really feel like I wasn't fully comfortable with- how I looked or like any I mean most of the time when I was younger I got like well she's hot for an Asian I got that a lot like oh wow and it's like oh well for an Asian she's pretty and that was always like really crappy you know what I mean Where I'm like oh so I'm never on par with other people right there's
1: a qualifier to that it's like oh yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah you're pretty but, but I mean, for an Asian right yeah right.
0: and honestly that didn't really that really didn't shift until I met my husband. Like he really Mm. actually made me feel more comfortable, like in my own skin. And like, it was a, I, I don't even know. It was like when I really felt seen for the first time. And I feel like that's something that a lot of people don't always get. They don't always get someone that's willing to really look at them and be like, no, you're beautiful. And so I've struggled with that whole idea of being like, hot for being Asian pretty much my whole time I've lived on this earth <laughs> you know what I mean mm. like
1: well it's so challenging Emily when you've got like everything it feels like everything telling you one thing which is like you're not white therefore right um, therefore you, you, yeah. like there's this there's a standard that you're just not meeting yeah. right off the bat yeah yeah, yeah and so and and it takes more than just one or two people saying, no, you really are, you really are good looking or no, I I love, I love your looks. I love your style. Like it takes a a constant stream of that positive reinforcement to, to, to even begin to combat the lifetime of negative shots you've taken because of your, you know, because of our physical appearance. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, my, uh, my wife has been into K-dramas lately, like, for the last year. <laughs> yeah. She's just been watching K-dramas like crazy. And so they're always kind of on in the periphery. And uh, every once in a while, I'll I'll watch with her. And, uh, and all of the males in those K-dramas are Korean. And they're normal-looking guys. And I think to myself, and I, I say, like, oh, my gosh. Like, I kind of look like these guys. Yeah, for sure. Like, like what, like. If I would have had, like, I, so, like, I I look, I look like these Korean TV stars. Yeah. And, like, if, and if I would have had that kind of exposure as a kid to where, like, oh, the people on TV look like me, that would have done just wonders. Yeah, wonders for my self-esteem and my identity development. Mm, Absolutely.
0: I mean, I had Lucy Liu, and that's about it. So, and I mean, yeah, I love Lucy Lou, but that was about it. So that's right. Yeah. Um, so for our last question, I want <laughs> like I asked Elliot this, and I was so shocked by his response. So now I want to ask every single guest that I have: um, Would you adopt? <laughs>
1: would I adopt? Yeah, it's a big <laughs> question. No, I, I personally, I personally wouldn't. Um, Lee. Really? Yeah, I, I. I mean, it's it's a. It's a complicated, complicated question, um, and I think that, you know, it, it doesn't have anything to do with, it doesn't have anything to do with the children who need adopted or the systems in place. I just, like, I, I have a I have a small family. It's a family of three: my wife, my daughter, and I. And like, that's they're good. That's yeah. So my response to would I adopt? really doesn't have much to do with anything besides the fact that I'm very content yeah with my unit right now yeah it's kind it's kind of a it's it's kind of I feel like that's a it's a bit of a cop-out but
0: no it's uh... like (laughs) but you're right though Elliot is younger too so like he actually still has like that whole future family potential thing and it's like yeah Mm -hmm. and just I'm always I'm just so surprised like I can't wait to hear what everyone else says too just because I really 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 I would have like bet a thousand bucks that other adoptees would have been like, yeah, of course I would adopt. But I would, I, yeah,
1: did yeah you know, I, a lot of adoptees adopt. And I think they are, I think they are positioned to be some of the best, potentially the best adoptive parents because they have a really intimate understanding of, of what it's like to oh, be an adoptee. Yeah, yeah. And so who, who better? Who better to equip and raise adoptees yeah. than folk who really understand it I think I think uh, there's there's a lot of benefit when adoptees adopt
0: yeah no I mean that's a huge reason why if me and my husband did we would adopt that like what you just said so um, well Steve it was a serious pleasure like always it was
1: it was my pleasure thank you so much for having me this was great.
0: Yeah. um, And to all of our listeners, thank you so much for coming into episode two. Um, But yeah, stay tuned. And thank you again, Steve. We'll talk soon. You're (laughs) welcome. Bye. Bye bye.